with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 40 through 45 this morning. As you're turning there, I don't think it's said often enough that the Bible is a challenging book. It's, it's difficult uh, for many different reasons, but primarily it's difficult for the same reason that it's hard to read Shakespeare or the har- it's hard to read Homer, the Iliad, and the Odyssey. We are culturally very removed from the original audience and the original authors of the Bible. And so for that reason, there are times when we read something and we just aren't in the same framework, we aren't in the same mindset, and we don't quite get it in the way that they get it. Now, I do think it's important to say that it is profitable to study the Bible regardless, that the main ideas and the main themes and the main message is clear, I think, to anyone who would study it. But you have to do hard work of digging into past cultures to fully understand it. And it is worth that hard work. I mean, the best things in life are hard. We know this. I mean, cookies made from scratch are better than the the pre-baked ones or whatever that you get from somewhere else. Do the hard work. It's worth it. But that being said, our text this morning, I would imagine for the average American living in 2023, when they read this, it does not jump out at them in the same way that it would of the original audience. And that's because we need to understand first some different concepts that would have been more on the top of the mind for the original audience, and it's not something that we really think or talk about too much. And they are these ideas. Um, The difference between being unclean and dirty. Those are not synonyms. They might sound like it at first, but we're talking about two different things. In the ancient world, people would have often thought about the idea of being clean and unclean synonymously with being pure and impure. They are not the same thing as being dirty because there are plenty of times that people can be dirty and it's not means that they're unclean. I'll give you an example. This is a picture of a child who is very dirty, right? But we would never look at this child who's doing what kids are supposed to do, which is play in mud and get dirty and have fun. We wouldn't look at this kid and say that he is unclean. We would say he's dirty. And those, that means two different things. Well, why does that mean two different things? Because being unclean is more like being impure. And this kid is not doing anything wrong. This is what kids are supposed to do, right? Well, the idea of being pure is referring to, in a culture, what we would describe very formally as a purity code. And what that means is that there are certain things that are appropriate at certain times and in certain ways. So while it is appropriate for this kid to be muddy and dirty and shirtless at this river or whatever, it would have been very inappropriate if I had walked up on the stage this morning shirtless covered in mud. You guys would have been a little freaked out. Like, what in the world is going on? It would have been inappropriate. It maybe not, wouldn't have been immoral, but you definitely would have thought, this is out of place. Get that guy a shirt. Why is he covered in mud? This is beyond bizarre, right? So, purity codes tell us what is appropriate, in what place, and in what time or what context. Now, in our modern minds, we might think of purity and cleanliness associated with germs or bugs, or things like that, little microscopic organisms, but it's not the same thing. 
I'll prove it to you. I can take a big pan of dirt, which we at first would think that's full of germs and little organisms, and I could put it in the oven at 500 for an hour, and we would have full confidence that that, jer- the, that dirt was now fully sterilized. There's no germs in there anymore, right? So it's not dirty anymore, right? Well, would you be okay with me putting that sterilized dirt in your bed? There's no germs. You still don't want it in your bed, right? Because dirt is supposed to be outside. That is the proper place for it and the proper location and context for it. So even though we don't use these terms, pure and impure, clean and unclean in this way, all cultures have these ideas of these unwritten codes, um, a purity code. So the thing about God's people is that God often gave them written codes that they should follow according to what is clean and unclean, that he told them what is appropriate in what places and in what times. And we find these laws written down, many of them in Leviticus or Deuteronomy, some in Exodus. And what we find as we study these Old Testament laws, these purity codes, teaching the people what is clean or unclean, is that sometimes they were given for the people's safety, that sometimes they were given for the people's holiness, but most of the time they were given for the people as a teaching tool. So here's what I mean by that. Some of the Old Testament laws did keep the people of God safe in common sense ways. This morning, we're going to be learning about leprosy, which is a contagious disease. And so the purity codes about leprosy did prevent leprosy from spreading to other people. It kept them safer. But that was not the primary purpose. Sometimes purity codes in the Old Testament set the people of God apart as holy from the rest of the world. We get these strange instructions we can pull out from the Old Testament and we go, I don't know exactly, that seems so bizarre, like, do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. And and we're like, what? Why Why would we do that? And our best guess sometimes when we go, we think other pagan religions did these strange practices as an act of worship to their pagan gods. And so God would give them these codes and say, these laws and say, don't do that because you're supposed to be different. But more often than not, we look at Old Testament purity codes when God says, this is clean and this is unclean. And what it's doing more than anything is it's a teaching tool that is teaching the people of God that they are supposed to be whole, pure, complete people. In the Old Testament, we hear this word shalom a lot, and we sometimes just translate that to the idea of peace, but that is not the full idea. Shalom, peace, is more the idea of wholeness, completeness, being all of who you're supposed to be because you find your personhood in God himself. And so whenever God instructs the people on cleanliness, on what is clean and unclean, on what is pure and impure. Oftentimes, he is teaching them using the things that they interact with day in and day out. He's teaching them that they are supposed to be whole and complete persons. It's important that we understand the difference between symbolism and superstition. The people of God 
did not believe that certain animals were actually intrinsically different than other animals. That because I touched this animal, something has physically happened to me. That would be superstitious, and that's not what they believed. Instead, God was using these different animals and these different religious rituals as a way of teaching them about wholeness, fullness, and completeness. I'll give you an example in what is probably the most foreign thing for us, which was the uh, dietary restrictions that God gave the people. He said, okay, these animals are clean and you could eat of them, and these animals are unclean and you should not eat of them. Well, why? Because as we look at the different instructions, for example, let's take livestock, cattle and things like that. The instruction was if they had a split hoof and they chewed the cud, that was a clean animal. Well, why? Because that represented a picture of wholeness and fullness and completeness of what livestock should be like. But, for example, the camel chewed the cud but did not have a split hoof. And so because the camel did not represent the picture of wholeness of what it means to be livestock, they should not eat of that animal. And so day in and day out, in in ways like this, the people of God were continuously reminded through the ways that they ate food through the ways that they interacted with the world. I'm supposed to be a whole and complete person, and I only find that peace, that wholeness, that joy in God himself. Same example with uh, which fish they were supposed to eat or not eat. A whole and complete fish is one that has both fins and scales. And so the unclean fish were what? The ones that either did not have both fins and scales. They might have fins but not scales, or they might have scales but not fins. Those fish you should not eat because it's not a picture of wholeness and fullness and completeness. And so this act of eating certain animals and not eating other animals continuously taught the people, I'm supposed to look to God to be a whole and full and complete person. Now, the one fish was not intrinsically different, but it wasn't a good picture of who they were supposed to be. And so this morning, we're looking at a man who suffered with leprosy. Now, when we hear the word leprosy, we think of the modern disease, which is also known as Hansen's disease. And as we look at the Old Testament, the term leprosy was a much wider term that did not refer simply to one disease. It referred to many, many different skin conditions. The reason this is important is because the word leprosy comes from the word for scale, meaning it was a skin condition that made it appear as if your flesh, your skin was scaly. So why would this cause someone to be unclean? Because we don't have fins right? So I'm not saying it would be better if we also had fins and scales. That would be bizarre too. But the idea is when they had this skin condition, they became unclean because they were no no longer representing a wholeness or fullness of the creature that they're supposed to be. And so this is tougher to wrestle with because we're talking about a person with a health condition rather than just eat this animal and don't eat this animal. So there's more emotionally tied up here, but the symbolism is the same. The picture is the same. Jesus wants us to be whole and complete people. He wants us to find the fullness of who we are, and that is only found in following him. And he wanted that to be constantly in the people's minds, in their daily routine. 
in what they ate or what they didn't eat and who they associated with or who they didn't associate with, what they touched and what they didn't touch. A constant reminder, find your wholeness in Jesus. Find your wholeness in God. And so with that history lesson out of the way, we can understand our text this morning much more clearly and we'll be able to then see why it's important for us as well. So looking at verse 40. And a leper came to him, meaning Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now here's how I know that we aren't thinking in the same way that the ancient people were thinking. When I read that to you, and the leper came to him, nobody gasped. Nobody said, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. This, to the original audience, was shocking and surprising. Well, why? Well, let me read you a passage from Leviticus 13, a passage specifically about the uncleanliness of people with a leprous disease. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, according to God's law, there was this symbolic picture when people suffered from this disease of leprosy. And that's that they were no longer a clean person. They were unclean. That they should protect the people from contamination by having this visual warning. Their clothes would be torn and unkempt. Their hair would be unkempt. So you could spot a leper from farther away and go, I'm going to protect myself from that uncleanness by keeping some distance. And if the person did not see that visual warning, they would give this audible warning, unclean, unclean, keep your distance. And that the people who suffered with this disease could not live in the camp, could not live in the city or the town with the people. They had to live outside of the city or the town. And so, having that context now in mind, we see that what the leper has done here is very surprising. He is not following the rules. He is not following the conventions. Instead, he is coming to Jesus. And so why is he coming to Jesus? Is it because he is so audacious to break the law? No, I believe we see details in this text that show us it wasn't his audacity. It was his desperation. Who knows how long now he has been outside of the city Because of this disease, because of his uncleanliness, he has lost his ability to be part of a family. He's lost his ability to to make a living, to provide for his family. He's lost his ability to, to go and to worship with the people of God, to enter into the temple. And because he is desperate, he comes to Jesus. And we see his humility in the fact that he kneeled at his feet. And then he said, if you will, you can make me clean. There's no accusation in the leper's words here. Oftentimes when we go through difficult things, we have the audacity to accuse God. I can't believe, God, you would let this happen to me. Of all the people that this could have fallen on, why me, God? 
And we think that we know better than him, but there is no accusation. He looks to Jesus' will in this moment. If you will, you can make me clean. Notice, he did not ask to be healed. He has to be made clean. He recognizes that he's suffering with more than a physical illness. He is suffering with the need to be purified, to be made right before God. And so what will Jesus do? Again, so far in the book of of Mark, we're pretty new to Jesus. If you've never heard about Jesus before, this is the first time you're reading about him. You know that he has claimed to be the king who's bringing God's kingdom. We know that he's claimed to be a, 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 a rabbi, that people should listen to him and follow him. But we don't know that much about his character. Most rabbis would have seen the leper coming and would have run or maybe done worse. But what does Jesus do? Verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. Once again, no gasp in the room. This should be shocking to us. Because we know from Leviticus 5 and Numbers 5 that anytime you touch something that is unclean, you're supposed to become unclean yourself, at least for a time, until you offer the right sacrifices and do the right washings. But Jesus, he is moved with pity. His compassion for this person. He looks at his brokenness. He looks and sees that he is not a full man. He does not have shalom. And it it says that it, it hurts Jesus to his core. It's a very strong word, that word pity. He feels it in the center of who he is that he must do something for this man. And so he reaches out and he touches him. And he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus heals him. And what we're going to see later in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus does not have to touch someone in order to heal them. There are times when he's going to heal somebody on the other side of town just by willing it to happen. So why in the world, if Jesus could heal this man, would he touch him in order to heal him? Well, it's because of his compassion What has this man not had for maybe years now? Well, people have been bringing him food so that he could continue to eat and live. He's had a basic shelter, maybe a tent or something outside of town. He's had his basic needs provided for, but he has had no one touch him. Perhaps in years. He's had no companionship. No love, no interaction with people. And Jesus sees his brokenness. He sees that he is not a full and complete person. And he reaches out in compassion and he touches him to show that love. And Jesus said, I will be clean. Notice that the leper did not ask to be healed. He asked to be made clean, pure. And Jesus did not say, I will be healed. He said, I will be clean, meaning that Jesus addressed much more than a physical issue, much more than a physical illness. He addressed the core of the man's problem was that he was not full and complete. He did not have shalom, that he was far from God. And in the man's humility, kneeling before Jesus, he had come close to God again. And God's response was to reach out and to wrap his arms around him. 
And so Jesus' response was not revulsion, not rejection, not retreat, not persecution. Instead, we see this, that Jesus receives all who come to him in humble faith. Jesus receives all who come to him in humble faith. And this stands in strong contrast to what other rabbis of the day would have done. We have other uh, writings from rabbis many, many years ago, and they wrote about lepers as well. There's one rabbi who said that he wouldn't even eat an egg if it came from the same marketplace where a, that a leper had been in. There's one rabbi that said that if a leper rests in the shade of a tree, that now the shade of that tree is unclean and that you should not rest in the shade of that tree. There's one rabbi who said that if a, if a leper is breaking the laws and coming to a place that they should not be, if they're getting too close, it was permittable that you could throw rocks at them to scare them off and teach them that they should keep their distance. What does Jesus do? He reaches out and he accepts this leper. Why? Because the leper was desperate. He knew that there was purity in no other way other than to come to Jesus in humble faith. So what this should tell us more than anything is that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if other people have rejected you. It doesn't matter how dark your secret is. It doesn't matter how dirty your hands are. It doesn't matter how far you are from God. Jesus' arms are open. And that anyone who would come to him in humble faith, he would receive you. And church, what this means for us is that if Jesus' arms are open, our arms must be open as well. To receive people to welcome them into our church when they come to Jesus in humble faith, even if it's risky for us. Sometimes it's risky to receive people as they are. But what did Jesus do? We learned last week that he was uh, balancing, wrestling with this balance between ministering to people's immediate needs and accomplishing the mission, the eternal mission that God had sent him on. That sometimes when he healed people, it distracted from his ability to preach the gospel. And so last week, that was the whole discussion. I'm going to preach the gospel, so let's keep moving. And so here, we see that Jesus is going to preach the gospel, but he has great compassion for this person's need. And so he heals him. And so there is this risk that his mission would be distracted yet again. But even at that risk, Jesus opens his arms and he receives this person in humble faith and he cleanses him. So this means that we have to be willing to minister to people even at risk. And so what we learned and saw last week was that sometimes his ministry of compassion became a distraction. We're going to see that that happens again this week. Look at verse 43 now. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. He doesn't want 
his compassion here to become a distraction. Instead, he wants the man not just to be healed, but to be fully restored to be able to worship God. That's why he says, Go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. That the Old Testament law in Leviticus 14 said that when a leper was healed, that they should offer certain sacrifices in order to be fully restored back into the worshiping community. And so even though Jesus has fully cleansed this person, he says that go and offer these sacrifices as a proof to the priests, meaning they won't believe you're fully cleansed until you do this. And he didn't want the man just to be healed. He wanted the man to be fully restored to God, to become whole and complete. And so he says for them, him to offer that. But unsurprisingly, verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. I mean, wouldn't you do the same thing? I mean, you, you see a good movie and you want to talk about it. You eat a good, re- at a good restaurant and you want to talk about it. Jesus heals you of a, a disease that you've had for years. I think I'd want to talk about it. I'm sorry, Jesus. But the result was that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he was out in the desolate places. And people were coming to him from every corner, quarter. So you see what's happened here, huh? Remember, we're reading a spiritual biography, a theological biography, meaning that the historical details are accurate and correct, and yet Mark chose to include these specific details because they teach us an important theological truth. And so what has happened between the leper and Jesus? How did it begin? The leper was the one who was forced to be on the outside. He was far from the people. He was far from God because of his sin. But then Jesus comes to him. He places his hand on him. And he takes his place. And now because of the ministry that Jesus has done for this leper, who is on the outside? Jesus. He's the one who can no longer enter into the town. And so Mark, at this point, is already foreshadowing the work that Jesus is going to do on the cross. That Jesus is God in the flesh. He left the throne room of heaven in order to come to the earth. And then what happened? He willingly went outside of the town to be nailed on the cross. So what? So that we who are far from God because of our sin can come close to God once again. And so already Mark is beginning to give us an indication of the kind of king that Jesus is going to be. That what we'll see is that the people of God expected Jesus to be a conquering king who would overthrow the Romans with military might. And what we see is that Jesus is going to be a conquering king. But it's not going to be through military might. It's going to be through his willing sacrifice. It's going to be through his personal humility. It's going to be through his willingness to trade places with us, to be our sacrifice. And this is a picture of why Jesus' king is upside down from the kind of kingdoms that we expect, that the first will be last and the last will be first, that he will conquer through sacrifice. 
that he will win through humility. And this is our King Jesus. And so what we see here in the leper more than anything is that this is not just a picture of physical healing. Instead, what we see is that Jesus' perfect purity can cleanse our deepest impurities. Jesus' perfect purity can cleanse our deepest impurities. That Jesus didn't want to wash the dirt off of our hands. He wants to wash the dirt off of our souls. Because more than anything, church, what we see in this text is not a story about a man who lived many years ago. What we see is our story. That we are the lepers. We are the spiritual lepers. Because of our sin, we are unclean. And because of our sin, we need Jesus to purify us and to make us clean again. And so, Christian, the very important truth for you to cling tightly to from this text is Jesus did not say, be healed. He said, be made clean. And so when you placed your faith in Jesus, he has made you clean. doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what sin you continuously wrestle with, you are clean because that's how pure Jesus is. And he reached out and he put his hand on you and he covered over and purified your deepest impurities. But that also means that if Jesus has made us clean, we should live like we are clean, which is harder to do. I'm working on memorizing Romans 13, 14, which says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I really like that picture. Because each of us, when we wake up in the morning, we make a decision to put on some kind of clothing. I mean, I don't see anybody here still in their pajamas. And you get up in the morning, you make that decision, you go, Today I want to look presentable for the workplace. Or today, I don't have anything important to do. I just want to be comfortable. Or today, I got to look real good for that hot date I've got. We make that decision of what we're going to put on that day. And what Paul is challenging us in Romans 13 is he says, wake up each day and decide to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made you pure, so you need to make the decision to live a pure life. Actively choose to not make provision for your flesh. Actively choose to not provide any opportunity for you to gratify your sinful desires. That is how we wake up and we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we honor the fact that he has taken our deepest impurities and made us pure, is by choosing to live pure lives. For those of us here this morning who are not Christians, who have never decided to follow Jesus with our lives, what this text, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning is this. You can be pure. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if other people reject you. 
It doesn't matter how dark your secret is. It doesn't matter how dirty your hands are. It doesn't matter how far you are from God. Jesus can purify you. He can make you clean before God. You can come close to God again because of what Jesus can do for you. If you would come to him in humble faith, there would be no revulsion, there would be no rejection, there would be no retreat, there would be no persecution, there would just be Jesus there with open arms reaching out towards you. But that means you have to come to him in humble faith. That means that you, you can't try to justify your sin, explain why it's no big deal. You can't try to shift the blame, put it on somebody else. You can't accuse God and tell him that it's his fault. No, you come to him in humble faith, desperate, knowing that he is the only way for you to be saved. He is the only way for you to be made clean again. In 3 John, which is a short little letter that the Apostle John wrote to his friend named Gaius, he he sends to Gaius an interesting greeting. I'll read it to you. It says, Beloved I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. In other words, he he makes this interesting comparison. He says, I want you to be as physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy, which is kind of like a greeting and also a challenge at the same time. It reminds me of um, when I was taking tests in seminary and sometimes professors would pray something like this before the test. Lord, I ask that you would bless these students to the degree that they have prepared for this test. And it's like, hang on, like, that's not quite the prayer I was hoping for, right? It's a blessing and a challenge at the same time. Because the thing is, we we can't really, sometimes you can see how physically healthy someone is by looking at them on the outside. But as we look around, you can't see how spiritually healthy a person is. And that's the challenge here. What if you could? What if the health of your soul was visible from the outside? That's what we see in this text. This leper, his impurity was visibly on display for all people. Now, you might think that you can hide your impurity from the world, but you cannot hide it from God. He sees you for all of who you are. He wants you to be whole, complete. He wants you to be the fullness of who you're supposed to be, and that can only be found in Him. He wants to cleanse you from your impurities and to make you pure. But this means you have to turn to Jesus. You have to come to Him on your knees in humble faith. And if you would, He would receive you.